Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here today with guests Kalev Bandor and new panelist Mordechai Cohen. Kalev, how are you? I am good, Mike. It's good to be here. Great. And welcome, Mordechai. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much. Sure. Okay, good. Well, we were discussing what our topic should be for today. We were thinking about like Israeli television or, you know, school delays or things like that. But we decided instead that probably the top story of the day was the complete collapse of the Israeli government and the fact that we'll be going back to elections again this fall for the fifth time in within four years. So that's a story. Uh, okay, so now that I've expressed my horror and indignation, uh, Khalif, can you give us like a little primer sort of on just technically, what does that mean? I know certainly it's a confusing story for people who aren't civics nerds, but, but certainly for our American listeners, who are a little more than half of our listeners, parliamentary politics is often confusing. So can you give a just sort of standing on one foot summary of what it means for a government to dissolve itself? Well, Mike, just as you were speaking, I was trying to remember to past episodes whether I whether I said how difficult it would be for the government to be dissolved. <laughs> so I'm just now, I'm just trying to remember whether, whether I said that or not. Um, but to, to, well, we to, always we we're always very careful at covering ourselves and saying that we're not good predictors. And actually, I've gone back. We're actually pretty good predictors, but we're always very humble in our predictions. So you're you're not held accountable if you well, said one, it. One of yeah, yeah one of the you, things I actually do think I've said on this podcast is that after in between elections one and two, which I guess it's difficult to remember exactly when each one was but between yeah. election one and two. Uh, a, a friend asked me what, you know, as some expert in inverted commas, what I thought was going to happen. This was at the stage where one of Netanyahu or Gantz or Lieberman was going to have to compromise in, in some way for, for, to get to 61. And I said that I wasn't sure what would happen. But the one thing I could say for certain was that there wouldn't be second elections. So th- those are kind of my credentials mm-hmm. for discussing these things. But Doesn't um, count, wasn't on this podcast. It wasn't on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure I've, I've told the story on the podcast. So oh, a- anyway, there's 120 seats in in the Knesset in the Parliament, um, and to get a government, you basically need to uh, need to get a, win a majority vote of expressing confidence in the government. Um, and then once you've got a government, there's there's I think um, guess I'd say that there's, there's three. There's only several ways that a government can end. Government can fall. One is its failure to pass. The budget, mm-hmm. which um, for those who who can remember and can remember the different elections, the reason why the Netanyahu Gantz government, which was formed after election number three, collapsed, was because it failed to pass the budget. So that that's one way. Now that was not going to happen with this government because it managed back in back towards the end of twenty twenty one, it managed to pass a budget. The second way a government can collapse. Well, it might it might is, have happened in you know this fall. They might not have been able to pass their second budget, but we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, the uh, another way that the government can uh, collapse is if the opposition, and and they are actually still talking about this, but I, it's a very <laughs> difficult scenario to my mind, is for the opposition to 
to bring a, an alternative government, to bring a list. The prime minister is going to be X. The foreign minister is going to be Y. The defense minister is going to be, is going to be a Z. And then 61 members of the Knesset vote for that government. So this is a whole debate about whether Netanyahu can succeed in forming an alternative government without the need for elections in the, in the mm-hmm. same Knesset. Um, that is another option, to my mind, even, even before the recent events, very, very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, the third way of a government collapsing is for a, a no-confidence motion um, in the government to gain 61 seats. And in other words, 61 Knesset members vote to dissolve the government. Yes. Now, as long as the government has got a majority, you, you, you can never have 61 voting against it. But if the government decides to dissolve itself, mm-hmm. uh, which actually, for those who can remember, actually happened at the end of election number one, the government mm-hmm. just decided to dissolve itself, that automatically sends to elections. So it seems like, because Lapid and Bennett realised that um, it was kind of going to be the, the, the death of a, a thousand cuts. Maybe the, the, the government was probably going to fall in the short-ish term. Anyway, they decided to try and kind of initiate it. And it looks like they will now vote to dissolve the Knesset and will be going to um, elections in late October. So I don't know if that was al Had or three or four legs, but that's... No, I think that was standing on my foot. I I, I think that that covers it. Now, and and you also gave us a little bit of perspective in saying that the reason it's happening now is that they were functionally a minority government now because they kept losing members. And that's what you meant by death of a thousand cuts? Yeah, so, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I guess it must have been around Pesach time we had a long conversation about about how Bennett, uh, I guess we, we can argue about it, was he a good prime minister, was he a bad prime minister? But as the head of a faction, as the head of Yamina, he has not been particularly successful because one of his faction members voted against the government from the first moment, mm-hmm. Amichai Shikli. And then around Pesach, another faction member, Edit Silman, said she was leaving the coalition. That brought it down to 1660. And it looks like another member of the faction, Mir Orbach, also was kind of tottering and, and was about to quit. And so when you have when you have that component, you'd say that the future of the government is very, very difficult to maintain. The added thing, which is, I guess, kind of the official reason that certainly Bennett's giving is, uh, which I think we've also probably talked about on, on the pod, is, mm-hmm. is these ordinances for Israelis who live in the West Bank that needs to get uh, updated every five years and would generally be almost automatically updated with a majority vote. There were never any issues because the right wing opposition decided to vote against it. There weren't, there weren't the votes to pass it. And it, if that expires, and it, it's due to expire at the end of June, f- f- for uh, reports basically say that kind of chaos happens and one way to solve that is to have, find the votes, which they, they wouldn't find. Mm-hmm. Another way to solve it is to dissolve the Knesset. If you dissolve the Knesset, everything gets extended for another five months or so. So Bennett's kind of official reason that he was kind of laying on his sword was, it's so important for me to pass these ordinances. The opposition weren't playing ball. The right wing settler supporting opposition weren't playing ball. And so the only way to make sure the chaos doesn't happen is to dissolve the Knesset. That the right-wing opposition was willing to endanger the existence of 
its supporters in the West Bank. They played chicken, and they said, we won't renew the law that allows their lives to function. And so Bennett's collapsing the government so that the lives of Israelis in the West Bank can continue. He blamed, in the, in the I don't, I'm mixing my metaphors, I think. But in the game of chicken, what, is the, what does the loser do in chicken? He doesn't blink. I guess he swerves. The loser runs out of the getting run over. Yeah. Well, whatever that is, that appears whatever to be. Whatever it is, they won, Bennett lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bennett, I think if I, if I can just interject here, I think Please. one of the things that's so, so, so special is that Bennett is now given the opportunity to play this very responsible statesman. That he's, um, you know, saving Israel from entering chaos, at least the residents in the West Bank, um, by uh, by toppling the government. Um, and I think he's scoring uh, at least a half a political point for to uh, for himself uh, in terms of the residents of the West Bank that I think are in some level are very upset with Netanyahu that um, they feel that they should have some level of responsibility, that they should take some level of responsibility for those residents and not plunge them into chaos. Well, so I think it's very think, symbolic. Yeah, I, listen, I, there's a few different directions that, that this pod could go. I think one very interesting direction is Bennett's political future. Um, but I think another one is... Which again, is, and, also on one foot, is over. I don't know if in, over, in, sure, well, nobody's career listen, is over. Bennett is we would all do well to end up as the Israeli prime minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically, it's basically the pinnacle. Um, and his party's in shambles. His party is, is in shambles. My personal opinion is obviously just a guess. If Bennett has a choice of retiring, listen, he's young, retiring temporarily, in inverted commas, from political life or fighting to pass the electoral threshold as someone who's a former prime minister, it's, it, it's, it's like Katanalov. Like it's, it's, uh, it's embarrassing to go back to these small party politics of your right-wing party, half of whom think that Netanyahu is a savior and half of whom think he's a disaster, fighting it out between religious Zionist party and Likud and someone else for like a few, um, for a few votes here, a few, uh, a few votes there. In my opinion, he would be better served to, to, to take a, a temporary break. What he'll ultimately decide, I don't know. But listen, Yamina made, some would say courageous, some would say uh, uh, cheatful decision to join a government with merits, with the United Arab List. We, we've talked about this before. Bennett made several promises. Not the Arab List, with he, Yeah, yeah. Um, Bennett made several promises. He wanted to replace Netanyahu. He promised not to sit with Lapid. Oh, sorry, he promised not to not, uh, uh, make pri uh, Lapid prime minister. And he also promised that there wouldn't be fifth elections. And the way the results fell, you kind of had, you had to choose which direction to go. And he chose no fifth elections. And that split the members of his party. I find it difficult to imagine how Yamina recreates itself. There's enough other right-wing... If you're anti-Netanyahu, you've got a right-wing party... If you're pro Netanyahu, you can vote for Likud or you can vote for Religious Zionist Party. Um, I find it difficult to imagine how Yamina continues. And I think it makes more political sense for Bennett, who's basically achieved the top. And he, he's never going to achieve that again, to take a temporary break rather than fight for a few seats here and maybe become some random junior minister in a future government. 
But that that again, I could be completely wrong. That that's just kind of my my reading on the situation. Kalev, I I totally agree with you. But at the same time, I think that there is a vacuum for the national religious identity uh, and to have a party express themselves. In other words, if we if we go back in time to the time where there was a Mafdal party, right? That sort of party doesn't exist anymore. There's this there's this Ben Gvir person. There's this Salo Smutrich person. There was uh, Ayala Chaked and and, uh, and and Naftali Bennett. And and those people, I I think, are going to be out for a while. Naftali, the prime minister and the minister of interior, I think they're going to take a break for a while. And what I think is going to be left over is this vacuum for about four mandates for people that want to go back to voting for a religious Zionist um, a, a normal party without going to the extreme. And Bennett, as uh, as leader of this of the party that was once upon a time the Mafdal party. Uh, came through many different reiterations of the party, changed the party. And I think there's an opportunity if somebody is willing to kind of reclaim the center for a national religious party, I think there's an opportunity here. Because otherwise, national religious voters are going to be either left with voting for a non-religious party or for extremists. Well, I sure hope it doesn't. I, I actually give Bennett a lot of credit for taking what was Maftal, the religious Zionist party, and and secularizing it and turning it into a political movement that wasn't branded and including non-religious people. In other words, there is a there is a national right-wing traditional identity that shouldn't be a, a political party shouldn't have a religious movement as part of its ideology. And what happened is in Israel, the religious Zionist community has more or less fractured along the lines of the modern, what we would call in America, modern Orthodox, to the more fundamentalist religious Zionist. And so the religious Zionist community has now a political movement that they call the religious Zionist party, which are extremists, they're racist, they're homophobes. That's not just, I'm not, I don't mean that as character assassination, that's their platform, is to disenfranchise uh, Arabs and and, uh, take away rights from the LGBTQ community and push them more or less into the closet. So, so what Bennett did, I thought was actually healthy for the country. I, 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 I don't like the mixture of religion and politics when it's so overt. And what Bennett was saying is, look, if you distill our political, the things that the moderate religious Zionist, the modern religious Zionist community agrees on, it's a certain set of political values that most of us agree on. So we can have a party based on that, and it can be more inclusive of people who aren't there just based on religion. Because quite frankly, what relevance is the religion to the work that the Knesset has to do. And so I actually think that was healthy. And I think the fact that there isn't a, I, I think that the fact that that moderate, modern religious Zionists have to now vote for political parties as opposed to a religious political party, I think is actually healthy for this, the, the state itself, in my opinion. I also think that, I, I, I also agree with Kalev that I think that is what's going to happen, that Ben is probably going to take a, 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 a I, I am sure... Stepping away from the chaos for a time would be beneficial to his mental health and his family's mental health. I do, however, think that there is something, there is a public civic value in taking that humbling step down and working from within the system and saying, it's not about me or any individual politician. We're here to do the work. And, uh, you know, this sort of you know, Netanyahu's sort of too big for the opposition. And so he's basically leading the country. And now look at me, I'm celebrating that I've, by by holding my own constituents hostage, 
by the way, polls, Mordechai, most of the supporters who are going to be hurt in the West Bank supported Likud using them as a political tool, most, on the polls. And in the polls, Bennett, I don't know, maybe he is going to get a political half point, but that's it. Politically, what scares me is that this brinksmanship of the Likud party, of inst- basically saying, if we can't run the government, then this will not be a functional government. We will make sure this is a broken government that doesn't take care of its... And so now you, Bennett, have to make a decision. Are you willing to run the government? When Likud has a very simple alternative. If Likud wants to run the country, all they have to do is have Bibi Netanyahu step aside. Without Bibi Netanyahu, you have an easy right-wing coalition led by Likud, no problem. And so we're trapped in, I think, a very unhealthy political situation right now, just from a a broad civics perspective. We're in all this chaos again and again and again, you know, fifth elections, because of this divisive figure whose accomplishments are, I mean, I was going to say innumerable, but of course they're probably innumerable. I mean, he's a man with the longest serving prime minister in the history of the state of Israel with an immense amount of accomplishments to brag on the economic, on the military, on the political uh, achievements of the state of Israel under his uh, administration is now, you know, I hate to use a a dumb movie cliche from a movie who I don't think aged as well, at least the writing in the movie. It's still a cool movie, but in The Dark Knight, which was a cool movie. But now when I I watched it again recently and the, the writing is just, the dialogue is really shaky. But there is this line in the movie, which is to me an example of shaky dialogue in a movie because people don't talk like this. But it, it, it's, I don't remember the exact word. Do you want to, you, you can stay the hero, but if you stay too long, you're going to become the villain. And it was used in reference to Julius Caesar in the movie and then to Two-Face and Batman. I don't know, whatever. It's a little bit, whatever. This is not a film criticism podcast. But but I, I really fear that that, that this toxic cult of personality politics, where the role of parties isn't to pursue policies to the benefit of the people, but to smash your political enemy, to hold control, so that then you can, what, go back to the status quo and not... I mean, the the, the country, the majority of the country is not behind Netanyahu. The majority of the country is behind right-wing policies. Okay. So then in a democracy, that should matter, I think. And it kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't. Because the, the Netanyahu base is so strong that it's it's playing the role of spoiler to functional Israeli politics. And I say that not as a right winger. I'm a centrist. Like I don't I don't have a dog in that fight. But just as a person who cares about who thinks that the structures that democracies are dependent on healthy structures and norms, what's happening here isn't healthy. So, I mean, there's there's a few different approaches I think I could take from that. I think if we look at numbers, and I'm I, I'm not a fan of polling at all, mm-hmm. especially um, pre-election, because I feel like you, know, you ask 600 people, you're not asking enough Haredim, you're not asking enough Bedouin, you're not asking enough this, you're not asking enough that. You give me a whole list of uh, of numbers, and you said it's within a three to four percent um, uh, range of mistakes, and that that's the difference between being in the Knesset and being out of the Knesset. So I don't like polling, but if I had to guess about where the country is, um, you know, the, the pro Netanyahu block, um, which is now really it's it's four parties, but 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 each of those four parties is not really in any 
danger of not passing the threshold. It's Likud. It's the two ultra-Orthodox parties. Mm-hmm. And it's the, I'm going to, the so-called religious Zionist party, uh, because mm-hmm. many would argue it doesn't really reflect the values of religious Zionism. But those four... Right. Religion, Zionist, religious Zionist. Mm-hmm. Um, those four parties are all very much behind Netanyahu. And, and the big question is, can those parties get to 61? Mm-hmm. They're probably between... 57 and, and 61. Mm-hmm. You've then got the Arab parties, again, who, who peaked at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say they're probably between nine and 15. And then you've got and then you've got the, the kind of the, the classic Jewish anti-Netanyahu block. But it also means that it no one can really get to 61. So the Netanyahu block might might pull off the extra seat and get, but if they can't, then the only way anyone else can is by including the Arab parties. And there's at least a couple of right-wing parties who don't want to include the Arab party. So I, I feel like just Netanyahu is, again, I'm not saying if this is good, I'm not saying this is bad, but he, he he's the bottleneck. The, 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 the elections will be fought once again over Netanyahu, yes or no, mm-hmm. uh, as well as was it a good idea to include Arab parties in the coalition? And Netanyahu will say they're terror supporters and uh, Lapid will say, they're, you know, they're, they're citizens just like you and me. They're 20% of the population and, and we should be open to including them. But well, I the people also on... say it was Netanyahu who invited them into the government right. to begin with. Absolutely. So, which, yeah. which is true, however mm-hmm. much Likud would like to pretend otherwise. You know, facts don't always care about our feelings. Um, but I think on the Netanyahu yes or no, it could well be that the Netanyahu yes once again don't have 61. And again, they failed to get 61 four times now. This is going to be the fifth try. Four times they failed. But it's also unclear that the anti-Netanyahu bloc will succeed in getting 61 either. Um, Which is so why the BB bloc may be able to, because they, the anti-BB bloc has tried this experiment. Several of them have found it so, I don't know, uncomfortable, distasteful, problematic, whatever the word is, that they've been peeling away. And the question is, can Likud and Bibi bring a few of them into the fold of their side, of the, well, can Bibi get enough right-wing anti-Bibis to drop the anti-Bibi and work with them in order to get to 61? So I think one of the questions will be, who are you more scared of? Are you more scared of Itamar Ben-Gvir, the Kahanist, or of Mansour Who hates Arabs or, or an Arab, yeah. Or, or an Arab. What are you more scared of? Um, and I think that will determine... Well, I would say, I would also say Mansour Abbas and Meretz. In other words, it's it's both... I think what the right-wingers found problematic, many of them, was having Mansour Abbas, but also having Nitzan Horowitz, having having a, a very left-wing Israeli party with... Uh, right, well, Mike, I am old enough to remember more or less, you know, a whole year ago hmm. when... Netanyahu was courting Mansour Abbas. And when the right-wing commentators were actually saying that Mansour Abbas wasn't so bad, mm-hmm. and I even remember, I don't know if this is, was Rav Druckmann, uh, and if it's not, then I, I should apologize, this idea of Mansour Abbas, uh, you know, an, a, a conservative Arab mm-hmm. is better than the left. Mm-hmm. You know, a left that is represented yeah. by that, you know, dastardly feminist, Merav mm-hmm. Michaeli, who mm-hmm. mixes up, you know, Lach and, and, and Lacha, on mm-hmm. purpose, and the you know the the the, the gay Nitzan Horowitz, those are much more a danger. The argument would go to 
in inverted commas, traditional Jewish values or whatever we want to say, than Mansour Abbas. But yeah, the, the issue that people had was with both of them. Right. But I also think that you can certainly make a strong argument that if you look at policies, policies of the government, um, whether that is in fighting Iran, they were far more aggressive than Netanyahu. Not getting into an argument with the US administration, far more successful than Netanyahu. Yeah, they did a nice um, job carrying at navigating out, to get their thing across without having a public Exactly. Spat. Carrying out a very large um, parade of flags that did not reroute like Netanyahu did and mm-hmm. did not lead to Hamas rockets like mm-hmm. it did. As in, the, the, these are facts, mm-hmm. but there is this idea that the government was a danger, that it was left. But if you look at the issues that are important to security-wise, right-wing voters, um, personally, I think the government um, comes out pretty good. But again, it, it, there, there's, this, uh, there's this idea that it was supported by terror supporters, that, that the merits and, and, and Labour, they're a bunch of leftists, and that it dilutes the Jewish character. Um but I, again, I think one of the issues will be Netanyahu, yes or no. And the other one will be, you know, do, do you want Mansour Abbas or do you want Itamar Ben-Gvir? And, and I don't know what the public will say. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, none of us do. It's astonishing to me that we're in this bizarre scenario. Look, I'm as happy to have the day off as anybody else for another election day. But it is... You know, we weren't sure how long this year-long experiment of this broad coalition would last. It lasted a little bit over a year. Some people were were very surprised. But I, I, I will also tell you, and this has to do with what Mordechai said earlier in terms of setting an example and setting a tone. I thought that in the announcement that uh, that um, that Bennett and Lapid gave, you know, that they they showed class and statesmanship and graciousness, which is something which is so lacking, not only in Israeli politics, but certainly also in Israeli politics, that 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 should be, that civility and that mutual respect should be. I, I, I'm curious what it's going to look like to have a Prime Minister Lapid and a Foreign Minister Bennett, even though it's going to be... But he's he's there, Lapid's staying as, Lapid's doing both, uh-huh. and Bennett is going to be a cabinet minister focused on Iran. Oh wow, okay. Whatever that means, because we have well, a defense he, minister. He's got, yeah. But anyone who's prime minister has probably got access to knowledge that other people don't have. It's one of Bennett's projects that he's been leading. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a fair amount of sense. I, the defense minister's got got enough other things to to work on. That um, it, I think it's an interesting uh, division of labor. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. I don't know. I, I I'm curious how that will work functionally i guess we won't really know because it'll be more or less behind the scenes but certainly part of that is diplomatic and part of that is military and if we have a foreign minister and a defense minister so i'm not exactly sure what that coordination means but it just means redoubling their efforts what i think you're saying is or what i i'm gonna tweak what you're saying Mm -hmm. do israelis like that that for me is a question Mm -hmm. it was fascinating to see lapid and bennett yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was very rare. It was absolutely mamlakhti. It was very, very stately. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that plays with the part. Like, it plays mm-hmm. well with me, but it I wonder how well me. it plays with with Joe Public. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's obviously a huge contrast, a huge contrast to Netanyahu. But maybe people like the Netanyahu style. I don't know. So that's exactly what my friends uh, said, wrote to me uh, when the news came out that the government was falling apart. They said, so what's the general mood in Israel? And I said, the general mood in Israel is very divided. And, uh, and this divisiveness is, is very complicated on the one hand. And as, as you've already both mentioned, we were waiting to see how long this government, this experiment was going to last, and it finally ended. It lasted a lot longer, I think, than many people thought that it would. But what does that mean for the general mood of the country? If there is a, such a thing as a general mood, or is this this division that we have to talk about in terms of these two basic camps? And what does that mean for the person that's following Israeli politics in America in terms of, if can you just be a generalist? Can you just be a general supporter? Or do you have to join a particular camp if you really want to feel that you're involved in Israeli politics? I remember when I used to be involved in Israeli politics living in America, it was very easy to not necessarily associate yourself with a particular camp. And my question is whether that still holds true or whether this div divisiveness that we're now seeing in Israel, I think it's a little bit now. I think it's, it's, uh, it's within the last couple of years. Um, whether that's going to force American Jews to try to take a side uh, or whether they're going to still be able to remain in this sort of general positive supportive role in terms of following Israeli politics. Uh, I, I, I really wonder, and you know, what a post-Netanyahu Israeli politics will look like, and if you will have that sort of combative... Israeli politics used to be... It was always been bare-knuckled. I mean, all politics is bare-knuckled, and Israeli politics used to be really sort of... From my perspective, when I was in America, it was, it was shockingly, uh, aggressively divisive. But uh, it's become toxic here in exactly the way that Kalev was talking about earlier, and that it's not about policies anymore. It's about tribal identity. And, you know, I don't want that, you know, gay lefty and Arab guy in charge, even though the policies the government is doing are are, are, are fine. And, and I think that, that I realize that the zeitgeist of the moment is that sort of personality-driven politics, not just here in Israel, but... Uh, I, I don't know that it's as ingrained here as it's become in other countries. And I, and I am optimistic that when eventually Netanyahu bows out of the scene of Israeli politics, that, that we'll go back to, always, it's always been angry, it's always been nasty, it's always been dysfunctional, but it's been less cult of personality in the past. And I, I don't know that it's as deeply rooted in the system, this sort of political tribal identity. So I... I I think the post-Netanyahu political world, which is I don't know when, I think will be healthier. And I don't know that a person, a Zionist from the States has to feel uh, an allegiance to any particular political dogma. People have their political opinions. They always have. But I, I don't think it would be challenging to be supportive of Israel without having to take a side, even though you have opinions. But I, I think you can still be generally supportive of Israel. As an Israeli, I, I think... Forget in America. As an Israelis, I think that's our job. I think that's what being a patriot is. It's saying I have my political opinions, I vote for who I vote for, but overall I put country first. And that's why when my side loses, I'll, I'll wait to fight another day and you know work for my political side. But ultimately, my patriotism is to the country as a whole and not to any particular. Even though I think my party's policies are better— my allegiance and my loyalty is to the country, not to... But I anything. think that's precisely what did not happen this time around. 
I think people sacrificed being uh, loyal to the country in terms of gaining political points for their party. Yeah, that's why. That's why I asked the question. Yeah, I, I, I am possibly naive enough to believe that that is the Netanyahu era. That's what the Netanyahu era has evolved into. And I wonder if him being out of the equation will bring us back to a more normal world. And again, I don't know when that is. He should live and be well. I'm not wishing anything bad for him. He's 72. He he, he could take a well-earned uh, retirement. I, 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 but whatever that is, I think he's 72, right? He's in his seventies. His father lived till hundred, so he probably feels like he's. <laughs> and it was apparently he pretty feels with like it. He's got a long, a long time left. Ben Sion was probably, I, I like, was reportedly pretty with it, even in his last years. Like he was, a, yeah. All right. Well, you're you're, you're sort of pouring cold water on my uh, optimism there, Khalif. But 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 I really I, I don't know. You see it in many other countries. I don't know why it's the it's the it's the spirit of the moment. It's a it's a turn away from the enlightenment-driven liberal democracy of the modern world back to a tribal identity, image-driven politics of alienation and, and disunity. I, I, don't think, I don't think, I think this is a problem democracies all over the world are having, and Israel's certainly not immune. But I do think that Netanyahu plays a larger-than-life place in it. And, and maybe I'm being too optimistic to think that when he retires... Now I'm convincing myself out of it, but 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 I don't know. No, I I, I, I anyway, Mordechai, I, I don't care. Like I I think we have to stand up, and as educators, we have to teach that patriotism means love of the whole and not of the party. The country always comes before party. It has to, and, and that's not always happened in Israel. It's certainly not always happening around the world, and that's why a good civics education really has to emphasize that point over and over and over and over and over that your political opponent is still your neighbor and you have to love your neighbor like you love yourself yeah all right last thoughts go ahead so yes i i I don't disagree with you mike um i think it's actually a different way of a different way of arguing it which is the reason why it's so personalized and and i agree politics has, has become um more personalized is because actually on a policy level most people agree, and it's not actually the, the old ideological issues. I mean, this is maybe a very centrist argument. So, um, but the, you know, the big issues we're going to keep all of the West Bank. We're going to withdraw from all of the West Bank. There's going to be peace. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. Dead issues. The majority of Israelis are not in either of those camps, and I think there is an argument that actually, and the fact that the government of change and this so-called right-wing government of Netanyahu did on foreign policy similar-ish things is maybe testament to that, that on a lot of issues now, Israelis basically agree. So if we agree, but we still want to argue, what's left to argue about and, and what's left to argue about is, is the personalities. Now, Netanyahu is in some ways a unique case because he's, he's, he's in court for three serious counts of, of fraud, breach of trust, and one... And he's doing policy. very well. The trial's not going so, well for the prosecution. I think it's unclear um, which direction the, the, the trial's going. And I think even if he's not done on bribery, um, to prove fraud and breach of trust, is, is the bar is, is, is much lower. But again, it's not, it's not weird that people should be arguing about Netanyahu because he's in court mm-hmm. on serious charges and he's a divisive figure. But there is this argument that we agree on the issues, 
So what's left to disagree on are the people. People don't like Lapid, just personality-wise. They don't like him. Why exactly? Difficult for them to point their finger to. People didn't like Bennett. People don't like this. People don't like that. But it's, it's, it's a politics of personality, potentially, because on policies, we actually more or less agree now. I mean, I, I, I could push back. I, I think there's, some, there's definitely something to your point. We could be arguing about uh, the role of Haredim and the draft, the role of Haredim in the economy. We could be arguing about how do we fix the economic burden on middle-class Israelis finding it hard to pay bills? How do, we, uh, how do we make sure that education in Israel is uh, raising its quality and not endlessly mired in, in you know, bureaucratic? There, there are so many things that need to be fixed that Israelis yeah, but we, are... But is, it's difficult to say, well, they could think this on those issues, and yes, I did think this. So then that issues. should be uh, that should be the conversation. Likud, tell me what you want to do about this. Yeshatid, what do you want to do about this? And then I'll vote. And and I'm that's not sure Likud have actually had a manifesto for the last three or four. They have Dafka Yeshatid have. Yeshatid have. Likud ha- yes, uh, their correct. website is all uh, their platforms on all of these issues, and Likud should be arguing. Here's what we think in those issues: agree or disagree. And that's what political leadership is supposed to do. It's supposed to keep the conversation on policy and not turn it into that type of chest thumping, uh, uh, I don't know, Mussolini style from the barricades, just yelling out. It's, it's just, it's bad political leadership. And then the people ultimately have to argue what the leaders are arguing about. And so the leaders give the people what to argue about. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, Kalev. I'm saying it doesn't have to be this way. That Likud leadership should be engaging in policy debates. And, uh, and I, I think that's, un, you know, I, I think it's problematic, the, the, the current political era we live in. And the price is, the political stalemates and the dysfunction and now elections again and the inability to be planful and functional. It's not just bad at the level of a civics, you know, high school civics teacher saying this isn't healthy. The, the real life consequences, things in the country aren't being run well. The only thing I'd approved. just add, Mike, is that you're right on all of those primarily domestic and social issues. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the examples I gave were the foreign policy ones. And historically, when people go to kind of put their uh, petek, their their slip in the in the ballot box, it's on the sec- the, the so called security related issues that they're voting on. And 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 interestingly, I think it, you know obviously Smotrich and Nitzan Horowitz don't agree, mm-hmm. but I do think a lot of Israelis now are in a similar ish place mm-hmm. on a lot of foreign policy and security related issues, and so. Yeah, one one solution would be well, let's move over to discuss the domestic and, and the value driven mm-hmm. stuff, um, and instead we've gone to we've gone to the politics of, of personality instead. Well, it turns out when you're a seventy four year old country that spent its first fifty sixty years in existential crisis, that the Israeli electorate is used to voting on these existential Who issues. Who would have thought? Right. Okay. So I get it, but that's exactly it. That on the existential issues now, first of all, we're not really fighting except for against Iran. An existential war, but we basically we basically agree. Israelis are pretty close to each other on most of these policy issues that deal with foreign policy and security issues, and so it is time, I think, for the seventy four year old country to turn inward and say, well, what what kind of country do we want to be? What do how how do we want to deal with poverty and drug policy and uh, economics and all these? It, it, we've 
we're mature enough to be able to do that while still having managing our, our Iranian problems. Uh, I think that's what mature political leadership will do. And, and hopefully uh, in our lifetimes, we will see the Israeli government become that sort of institution again, instead of whatever this is. How's that for, is that optimistic? Is that pessimistic? Is it a mixture? I don't know. We like to end with optimism. Something to strive towards. Yeah, that doesn't sound great either. Mordecai, you got an optimistic twist here. We got it. We got to end on a something to strive. I don't to. have an optimistic twist. Re- I, I'm actually much more pessimistic than than uh, than you are, Mike. Oh, all right. Well, maybe well, that's the real downer then. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this shakeup though. Well, we need to go through. You know, we need to go through problems for people to get sick of the dysfunction in order to get to functionality, and hopefully, this is another step through dysfunction towards a more functional future. How's that for an optimistic summary? That's certainly a very optimistic uh, reading. That was well uh, well phrased. Because that okay, was what this to... government was supposed to be. But yes, yeah, that, that yeah. is a nice optimistic way to end, Mike. Thank you yeah. for that. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, it's all gentlemen this week. Liel is still uh, busy with her uh, summer responsibilities, but we hope to have her back as soon as we can. Thank you, listeners. And I'm going to end the Zoom. I'm going to end the recording, not the Zoom, because it's the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Masat Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Masat offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.